You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Amen. If you will, take your Bibles this morning, turn to John 14, John chapter 14. That is a great song and a great truth and uh, goes very well with our text today in John 14. And excited to be in church with you again today, looking for what God has for us. If Christ is our hope in life and in death, like, you know, what else is there, right? I mean, if that covers life and death, I mean, I think then we can always have hope, right? And uh, that uh, is uh, the glory of the Christian faith, that uh, our Savior, there's no uh, sphere uh, on planet Earth or in eternity, some realm that He is not there as sovereign, and there as our hope giver, and I hope no matter where today finds you, no matter the circumstances, that do you have that hope. If you don't, you can today. Christ freely offers that to us. John chapter 14 today, just a couple words of note, and we'll jump into our text today. First of all, if you would pray for Brother Joe Davis, one of our church members, um, he fell last night late and uh, broke his hip, and uh, he is uh, at 11 o'clock this morning going into surgery. So if you pray for him, God's grace and strength for him, as you know, at his stage of life, a fall like that is uh, very serious. And so if you would pray for him, Lisa asked that we pray for the surgery and then for comfort and healing for him. And then secondly, just a word of update about our Amen Project. Appreciate many of you giving. If you look at the back of your bulletin, you'll see where we're at on that. And uh, we are prayerfully trying to raise funds for the renovation of this space, as well as our offices and kind of reallocating some things, as well as our kitchen. And so we've had uh, 54, just north of 54,000 come in. And so just wanted to thank you for that. And that's about just over a quarter of the way to our goal. And uh, we're uh, shooting and praying that God will provide this by the end of the year. So if you've yet to give to that, uh, now would be a good time to do that in the next few weeks and months here. And again, uh, it's not about the buildings or the monies. It's what happens in the buildings, right? And uh, this is a room and our offices regularly are places where people meet Christ, hear the truth and love of Christ. And so your partnership in that, you're sitting in chairs this morning that folks in the past gave to raise money for that. So it just goes on. We just keep paying it forward and investing in the next wave of what God has for us as a ministry. But just wanted to thank you for that and ask you to keep praying if you would for that. All right, John chapter 14 today. Let's look at verses 1 through 3, and then we'll read also verse uh, number 18. John chapter 14, verse 1, Christ here speaking, says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go, think of this, hearing it for the first time, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And if you would go down to verse 18, kind of the key verse of this chapter, Christ says this, I will not leave you, notice this word, comfortless, I will come to you. And so we resumed last week our study of John. Pastor Dave preached last week the first in our study as we look now at the second half of John, Jesus' servant. Today we want to look at this Jesus as comforter. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the joy it is to be here back home today and 
Thank you for what you did last week in our midst, and now as we gather around your word today, thank you for these anthems of the faith that we just sung our hearts out, our lungs out to you. Um, we pray, Father, that you would now um, ground those emotions and those um, encouragements, Lord, in your word, uh, undergird what we feel today with the eternal truth of your word, and uh, guide us, apply it to our lives, help us, Lord, to leave realizing that um, if we do not have the comfort that you offer, it is only by choice. And I pray in contrast to that, we would choose today to avail ourselves of all that you offer us through intimate fellowship and connection with your Son. May you comfort hearts today. May you draw us closer to you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, the other day I saw a pamphlet that somebody sent to me. It was a picture uh, with me doing some counseling things and, and us doing that on the side. We were doing that last weekend, preached at a couples conference with about 55 couples um, in Frankenmuth, Michigan, if you've ever been up that way, uh, and then preached last Sunday at the church that, that those couples were from. And uh, somebody sent me this just a week or so ago of what is called in the therapy world, therapeutic cuddling. And the brochure they sent me was of a, I'm not kidding you, this is a real thing, no thank you, before I get to the specifics on it, for me at least, where it showed pictures of people laying in meadows in large clumps of humanity just holding each other, comforting each other. And, and the slogan on the pamphlet said this, looking for connection, comfort, and touch, learn about, a monthly, about monthly snuggle events. Here it is, here's the website. Hold me at holdme.com, okay? Uh, I don't know about you, that does not lower my level of anxiety. I, I'm an introvert by nature. I also have some germophobic tendencies. That raises my anxiety, okay? Back off, buddy, okay? I want nothing to do with a bunch of cuddling adults. Uh, it's funny to me, you know, in all seriousness, how often our world is craving comfort and the lengths they will go to find it, right? I think a lot of the issues in our day, whether that be addictions, um, even vices, um, things that we, we gravitate toward in our fallenness, really is just the human being trying to find comfort in something, anything. Um, and so today I trust that God will challenge us where we need to turn from those things and look to his son, Jesus. So kind of a key thought today as we begin, God's comfort and our proximity to Jesus go hand in hand. So if I want God's comfort, I've got to get close to Jesus. A lot of us want comfort from God. We want supernatural comfort to just flood our hearts and minds and homes and lives, but we're keeping Jesus at a distance. Um, and so can I encourage you today to invite him closer, allow him to have greater access to your heart and life, and allow this comfort to draw nigh you that you've been so uh, looking for. So just to set this up, and we talked about this actually in our small group this past week, um, or maybe it was two weeks ago, how John 14 is really on the heels of some tough things in John 13, right? So Christ confronts them about their pride. They're kind of jockeying for position in the kingdom, and Christ has to call them out on that. Um, he talks about the fact that one of them is going to betray him. Imagine hearing that for the first time. Um, and, and then he talks about also... Um, Peter is rebuked. Remember at the end of the chapter, I will never forsake you. And Christ says, yeah, you're going to do it three times. A lot of hard truths in this chapter. And so Jesus now comes to chapter 14 and he offers to them fresh doses of comfort to deal with these very hard truths that he has just revealed to them. 
So there's some things we can glean from this text, I think, that will be of help and comfort to us. All right, so here's our study today. Greater intimacy with Jesus requires dependence upon two exclusive forms of comfort that are only found in Him. And our outline today is in the bulletin if that helps you to follow along. All right, number one, let's talk about, first of all, Jesus as the comforter, as the one who is connected. Jesus, who uniquely is connected to God and therefore uniquely connected uh, to his comfort. Uh, one of the things that we had the joy of doing last Friday, uh, Michigan um, tracks just a little bit ahead of us. Their fall comes earlier. And so when we were there last weekend, I don't know if they would say it was peak, but it was at least very close to that. So as we were going up on Friday, we met the pastor, went up to the conference uh, on Friday evening. We stopped at a cider mill, kind of halfway between, um, probably about 40 miles into Michigan. Had some cider and some cinnamon donuts. Some of you I lost now. I shouldn't have mentioned those specifics. Um, but I was just thinking as we were standing there, it reminded me, I don't know if you're familiar with a, a fall festival over in Carroll County called the Algonquin Mill Festival. My grandparents, uh, Ed and, uh, and uh, Mary Snowed, uh, my grandparents, they were involved in a, um, in a historical society that would manage that. Um, and so we as boys would love to go there. My grandma worked in the country store, and my grandfather worked in the feed mill, which is what the cider mill kind of reminded me of, where they were still grinding meal. Um, and one of the things I loved as their grandson was the access that I had to the behind-the-scenes stuff that the public was not allowed to go to. Okay, I just thought that was so cool. I'd lift up the little chain with the red sign that said, nobody beyond this point, and just strut, you know, strut through uh, to go maybe behind the counter with my grandmother as she was selling off different crafts and things, or climb up in the top of the feed mill and watch my grandfather dump in. It brings back a lot of memories as he put in corn and it would come out the bottom, cornmeal or uh, wheat flour, and they would sell that in little sacks, little old school sack. But I just remember the feeling of, I've got the inside track to this place because of who I know and the access that that gives to me. You know that Jesus Christ has access to all that the Father is that no one else has access to? I remind you of a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 where it says this, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all what? Comforts. So it is our Jesus, the Son of God, who has access to the God of all comforts. And so the closer I can get to Him, the closer I get to what He has access to. Does that make sense? Um, and so can I encourage you to press into that relationship and allow God to give you in that place what only He can offer. All right, let's talk about two things as it relates to this comforter, Jesus, who is connected to God in a unique way, uh, that we should take full advantage of. Number one, draw even closer to Jesus, to his construction of connection. So in verses one to two, he offers to us what he's building. It is ours. We have access to it. Draw even closer to Jesus' construction of connection. Go back to verse one here in John 14, and notice he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That is a foundational principle or kind of the structure of this text is that Jesus is trying to ease the minds and the hearts uh, of his disciples with these comforting words. And the word trouble that's found in verse 1 has the idea of stirring up, 
disturbing or throwing into confusion. The disciples were being troubled by what had just been said. And so Jesus tells them what he's building and what he's growing for their benefit. May I say today, and you notice that the command there at the end of verse number one is to believe in him. Believe in God, believe also in him. What ultimately in our being is looking for comfort? Um, I think there are times where it's a physical thing. Biologically, we're wanting. I'm sure Brother Joe would love to have a little relief from what he's navigating this morning and the, in the moments while we're sitting here, probably a bit more comfortably than he is. Sometimes it's, 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 it's mental. Sometimes it's other things. But most of our comfort that we crave is on a heart level, right? That same part of our being is the part of our being that believes in God. And so may I submit to you this morning that a lot of our issue with a lack of comfort really is a lack of faith. I'm not trying to make everything spiritual. I'm just saying a lot of our comfortlessness is actually faithlessness. And so Jesus begins by saying, before we can get to comfort, do you believe in me? And where we're troubled probably is an indication or a symptom of where we're not allowing him to grow and to build our faith in who he is. All right, verse 2. Let's get to the specific construction. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, think of this, I go to prepare a place for you. And so Christ here speaks of heaven as a real place. It's not just a state of mind. It's a real place that has individual places within that place. And Jesus says that he is building for us a place in the presence of God. The word mansions, um, unfortunately, that word has certain connotative associations. You know, the old hymn, Mansion on the Hilltop. I think we have to be careful uh, with that. I don't know if we're totally honest, if we really think that's what we're going to have, okay? Some big spread with a bunch of servants and a winding drive, you know, lined with, you know, shrubs from all over the cosmos that, that will just wow the neighbors. It, the idea is a, an abiding place, a dwelling place. And I will tell you this, I'll take being in the Father's house and intimate connection over a, mount, a mansion on a mountaintop any day. Um, and so we have to be careful, and I, and I understand when it was translated what was meant by that, but the idea here is a dwelling place in the presence of God, to be in his house. Back in Mark 6, the, the folks from his hometown referred to Christ as a carpenter. Think of that, the carpenter building for us a place. And we can't have comfort this morning with all the things that we feel displaced from and disoriented by. We have a place right now in this moment being constructed for every person who knows Jesus Christ and believes in him as the Son of God. And so what a glorious, comforting thought that Jesus is building a place uh, for us. I want to show you a picture. I don't know if you can tell what it is when you look at it. But this is the top of a pyramid. In fact, it is the Great Pyramid of, of Giza. Um, the very top of it. And they were showing, uh, I love to look at pictures from different angles of like things we're familiar with. But imagine God looking down, if you will, on one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world that's still nothing beneath his feet compared to what he's building. Um, and the belief of the Egyptians was this, that their pharaohs needed a place built for them to help them transition into the afterlife. And they would put chariots. Maybe you've seen like especially um, King Tut or some of these tombs they've unearthed. And they, they prepared for this eternal transition. And 
The belief is this, that the common Egyptian, their afterlife depended upon making provision for their leader's afterlife. And so they would sweat and toil to build these massive edifices to make provision not just for their leader, but also for their own afterlife. Aren't you thankful that the Christian faith is the exact opposite of that? We don't build things for our God or for our leader. He's building things for us. He's setting up what we will need to dwell in a place of provision and fellowship for all of eternity. Think about this for a minute this morning. What is more comforting, no matter what lies between now and eternity, listen, than knowing that God the Father wants to be my neighbor? Isn't that amazing? God's the, God's the sovereign of the cosmos. He could tuck us in any corner or crevice of the cosmos, and still we don't deserve that place, do we? But he doesn't put us in some far-flung region of the cosmos. He brings us right next to him. And we have access to the one who's building that place for us this morning. We're gathering in his name. That's unbelievable. It comforts us. It comforts us. It steadies us where we're tempted to think God has forgotten us. All right, go to verse 3. And we notice the second aspect of this connection that only this comforter can give to us. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am you may be also. Number two, draw even closer to Jesus' responsibility of connection. So he's the one constructing the connection. Number two, he takes personal responsibility for that connection with God. Any of you wish you could go back to your childhood when you didn't have bills and, I don't know, schedules and jobs? And I don't think we knew how good we had it as kids, those, you know, innocent, naive children in the other wing this morning. Um, somebody was joking about the idea of naps. Think about this for a minute. So a friend of mine said this, do kids realize how great they have it that people are scheduling naps for them? Don't you want that? Any of you want to be that for me this week? Just make sure I get my naps in this week. Wouldn't that be amazing? Someone taking responsibility for us. Can I tell you today that God has taken, through Jesus Christ, full responsibility for what we need. And what we long for, Jesus is the one responsible. I don't have to keep all the balls in the air. I don't have to somehow find heaven or find this dwelling place somewhere. He's going to make sure I get there. He is the one who is responsible. And so he comforts his disciples by taking personal responsibility. In verse 3, he says, I will come again. This promise that bring, brought hope to these disciples, the one who had just said, I'm leaving. He says, I'm not leaving forever. I'm coming back. Notice that the, <laughs> the emphasis, does he really say much about the place? He doesn't, does he? But look at verse 3 where he says this, I will come again, receive you unto myself. And then this phrase, I love this, probably the best phrase in verse 3, that where I am, there ye may be also. Who cares what the place actually is? If it's the place where he is, it's going to be the best place for me. Um, someone said this, that, that those words, where I am, is the most satisfying definition of heaven. I've said it before, there are a lot of folks that have preceded us in death that we love and long to see, and there's amazing little intricacies of the description of the heavenly city and all that's going to be, but I'm telling you, the most amazing thing is that where he is, we are forever. 
How is it we as God's people can't live with comfort then that's steady and sure, that provides the bedrock of our faith and confidence? We know that someday we will be where he is. All right, verse 4. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And so Jesus here says to them that I've, I've told you where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. He had already said that to them repeatedly, and they knew the way, which was him. And so he keeps repeating and repeating what he wants his disciples to experience. Notice that Jesus takes full responsibility for us, not only getting to heaven, but knowing it right now. Um, one of the things I love about God is he doesn't just have the future set, but he lets us know about it now so that we can allow that reality to come to today and give us comfort and give us clarity in ways that we would otherwise not experience. And so are we receiving from him what he has taken full responsibility for? If we stay close to him, we can live in light of all that he knows and all that he has revealed to us, no matter how dark the day may be. All right, go down, if you will, now to verse 5. Thomas hears these words and says to him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, this familiar verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Thirdly, jot this down, and lastly, under this first point this morning, draw even closer to Jesus' revelation of connection. Do you, do you catch the sequence here? So Jesus is the one constructing our future. He secondly is the one who's taken personal responsibility to make sure we experience it someday. And then thirdly, he's the one that shows it to us, that reveals it to us if we'll simply listen and heed his voice. Now, if you go back to verse number 36 of chapter 13, you will notice that Simon Peter says to the Lord, whither goest thou or where are you going? You just said you're leaving us. So Peter asked that question, and then Philip here in, or Thomas here in chapter 14 says, we don't know where you're going. Both Peter and Thomas were thinking of some physical place, some geographical location, likely on planet Earth. Jesus was thinking of somewhere outside of that, and, and so he needed Jesus to reveal to him what he had yet to understand. May I say today that often we fail to have comfort because we are too earthy in how we process what Jesus is trying to reveal to us. We read text and we make them about the prosperity gospel. Well, he's promising me this, health, wealth, and prosperity, when nothing could be further from what he's ultimately focused upon. We, we, we take things that are eternal in significance and we focus just on this life, and so we have a lack of comfort where we should be experiencing great levels of comfort. And so losing that physical perspective to see that which is eternal. Notice in verse 6 that he does not just show the way, he is the way. You do know that Christianity is Christ, right? He is the way. He doesn't just show us the way. He doesn't just point us in a direction. All the arrows point to him. He is the way. He is the door. He is the means uh, to which we receive uh, salvation. The way to God is not the Ten Commandments, the Golden Rule, ordinances, church membership. We'll have some folks join today. None of those things are the means to salvation. It's through Jesus. It's through faith in what he reveals to us about the truth and the love of God. Also, he's the truth. He doesn't just teach the truth. He embodies the truth. He is the truth. And lastly, he is the life. He is the source of life, both spiritual 
and that which is eternal. Now notice one little word in verse 6. I don't know if I've thought of this before our study for today, but look at the end of verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, notice this next word, cometh unto the Father but by me. He doesn't use the word goeth, does he? Think about this for a minute. He uses the word cometh, which means this. Is Jesus viewing this journey to the Father, being closer to God, from man's side or from God's side? If I'm not in a place, I'm going to say I'm going to that place. But if I'm saying you're, you're coming to me, that means I'm already there. Jesus is placing himself with God. He's saying you can't come to the Father, which is where I am, because I am God. You can't come to where we are unless you come through me. Isn't that amazing? So the way, the truth, and the life, he's already there. He has access. He's not overstepping. He's not promising something he can't deliver upon. That verb is so vital. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And so we come to Jesus Christ, and as we come to Jesus Christ, we come to God the Father. That is an amazing uh, aspect of the comfort he promises. All right, verse 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth, or it satisfieth us, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you, Philip, and yet hast thou not known me? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Philip here is asking for some additional general or some uh, special revelation to see the Father, and he doesn't realize that he's already seen the Father because he's seen Jesus Christ. In fact, Philip was one of the earliest disciples. John 1 and verse 43, Philip comes to Jesus. He's known Jesus as one of the longest of the disciples, and he's still asking to see the Father. And Jesus reminds him, uh, as you see here, that to see him is to see the Father. Hold your place there in John 14. Would you, chap would you go back to chapter 1 for just a moment? I'm sure you remember every word of my sermon on the second Sunday of this year, January, whatever that would have been. And you just, you're just adding a few things this morning to fill in those blanks, but you remember every word. We would have studied in John chapter 1, the second Sunday of January of this year, as we began our emphasis of being disciples. But look, if you will, in John chapter 1 and verse 14. So to see, the or to see Jesus is to see the Father. John begins his text with this same emphasis. Verse 14, familiar verse, and the Word was made flesh, John 1, 14, and dwelt among us. Notice the proximity, the closeness. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the, what? Father, full of grace and truth. And then this verse, look at verse 18. I love this verse. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And one word jumped out at me as I read that verse in reference to our study, the word bosom. What's closer than the bosom of the Father? He is the one who has declared and revealed the Father to us. And yet here we are, if we're not careful, we look to mysticism. We look to second-rate kind of access to God, those who promise we can feel God and see God and know God. We leave Jesus, we shelve Him, and we look to something else that's so superficial. No one can claim what John 1.18 claims about Jesus Christ. He's in the bosom of the Father. 
And that one who is in the bosom of the Father alone can offer to us comfort that transcends the challenges and the struggles of the here and now. And so Jesus not only embodies the way truth and life needed to get to the Father, but he answers questions we have about how to know that way. And Jesus answers these questions of these disciples who are following him. Um, One of the things I've noticed in our pursuit of comfort, or maybe we're looking for something to help us and to steady our souls, is we often look to inferior things that we hope will connect us or others to God. Um, Somebody was talking about our educational choices, and uh, we don't push one educational perspective as it relates to our kids, homeschooling, public education, private, Christian school, whatever. Obviously, God has to lead each of us in that. But a friend of mine said this the other day, he said, parents, no matter what type of school your child is in, you're going to have to intentionally shepherd them spiritually. I've seen both horror stories and trophies of grace from private, public, Christian, and homeschool fight for their hearts and pray. And I'm telling you, we often look to some mechanism or some structure, and I, I think we do need to be discerning as it relates to the education of our children but we look to things or to mechanisms instead of looking to God. May I ask you a question in a more general sense? Jesus is worth drawing closer to, not just because of who he is, but the fact that there's more connected to him than we often are willing to appreciate, and we're looking to lesser things, independently of him, to find our comfort. Here's the question. Who do you, uh, where do you need to abandon your independent efforts to find a home, to find heaven, to find divine revelation without a close abiding relationship with Jesus? Start there. Stay there. If you're close to Jesus, all of those things will be yours and will be mine. Don't look to the lesser things. Stick with the comforter who has such connections. All right, number two. Go back to our text now in John 14. And let's spend a few moments looking at a second aspect of comfort that no one else can offer us as young people and adults today. No one else can offer us what Jesus Christ offers to us. John chapter 14, and look, if you will now, (laughs) at verse number 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, in the video we watched earlier, touched on this, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. All right, number two, so our comforter is connected. Number two, our comforter is generous. Our comforter is generous. Any of you familiar with in Proverbs 30, where it talks about these three things, yea, four are this, and it talks about different animals. I don't know if, you, if that resonates kind of the wording there. Somebody was kind of tongue-in-cheek applying that to some other areas, not quite as spiritual. Someone said, there are three things to be hated, yea, four things to be despised, okay, using kind of that same language. Here's the first one, raisins that replace chocolate chips, all right? Anybody, can I get a witness on that? Anybody else agree with that? Especially, I'm not against raisins, but when you think it's a chocolate chip, that's the worst It's like slimy, you know, I don't know if raisins, they've already been cooked by the sun. Why cook them again, okay? That's just my thought on it. Um, Number two, decaf beverages that pose as coffee. I mean, come on, you know. Um, I think I've told you before we had a, well, I think it was maybe Glenn, Brother Glenn Crossman always talked about drinking decaf coffee is like kissing over the phone. You know, it's just, (laughs) it, it just, it doesn't have the same oomph to it, okay? 
Um, number three, turkey. This, this, this resonates with me. Turkey that parades as bacon, okay? Have you eaten turkey bacon? At least by choice. And then the last one, number four, and this was funny, and dogs that are smaller than cats, okay? Those four things uh, should not just be hated, they should be uh, despised. Can I just say to you today, think about this, the Jesus that we look to for comfort, unlike anything else that kind of holds back and gives us bare minimum, Jesus is not stingy with his comfort. Like he freely gives it. And the balance of John 14 is Jesus just saying, this is, this, I'm giving the whole thing to you. I'm going to offer to you uh, not just what you desperately need, but things even you want as it relates to comfort. Our comforter is not only connected to God, but secondly, he's willing to share it with us generously, liberally. Uh, and so we can come to him confidently that we can receive what he is offering. All right, a couple things about that. Number one, draw even closer to Jesus' prayer-giving generosity. So we're going to talk about three things that his generous comfort gives to us. First of all, prayer-giving generosity. He gives to us the privilege of prayer uh, in a very generous manner. We just read verse 12 where he talks about the fact that the works that we will do will be greater than his. What does that mean? How can what we do supersede or be superior to the works that Jesus Christ did during his earthly ministry? I would submit to you that the language here seems to indicate the works will not be greater in quality. It's not like what we're going to do is going to be greater uh, than Jesus who you know, broke up every funeral that he attended and the list goes on, healings and things that he accomplished, but greater in their extent. Their, their lasting, enduring impact, the things that we do uh, by His grace uh, will be that significant. The restrictions that were imposed upon Jesus by His incarnation now are lifted, and there's things that He can do through His people that He could not do during uh, His incarnation. When I read verse 12, it causes me to ask the following question. I hope you'll ask this question of yourself. What would we attempt if we truly believed in the comforting truth that the greatest things that God can and will do are not behind us, but in front of us? What if, what if the greatest ministries and the greatest evangelistic gospel work that God has ever done has yet to happen yet? Like it, We get into this nostalgic, good old days, let's just hunker down and hold on until Jesus comes. That's why we're not comforted today. Because we have nothing new going on between our soul and the Savior and between us and the mission and the purpose of God. Is it not possible that the return of Jesus Christ is not 10 minutes from now or even 10 years or 10 decades from now and he has some great things he wants to do in the next generation? Is that in our hearts this morning? We are comfortless because we've lost the vision and the belief that God can still do greater things than he's ever done before. And so let that pulsate anew and afresh uh, in your heart. And so what would we attempt? What would we encourage others to attempt if we believe that the greatest things God can and will do are not behind us, but in front of us? All right, verse 13. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14. He repeats it. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so the comfort that Christ gives to his disciples that though they know the Lord is leaving them, they can still pray to the Father in his name and they can receive their request. Do you think the disciples were asking Jesus for things now and then? 
hey, I, I got this going on with my mother-in-law, Peter would have said, and I, I've got this struggle on it at home, and James saying to Jesus, me and John can't agree on this, and they were used to Jesus answering their request. And as he leaves, they're now wondering, who do we go to with all of these problems and challenges? And so he gifts to them prayer, a gift that we still possess and can experience this morning. And so he, he, refrain, he repeats this twice, that you can call out to God in my name, and he will answer it. He will do it. Now, does that mean we can ask anything of God and just tack on in Jesus' name, amen, and God's just going to drop everything and do what we want? Obviously, we know that it's not just asking in his name, but it's aligning with him, right? Listen to me. To ask in the name of Jesus means we have to be close to him, to know how he feels about it, what he thinks about it. He who is always pleasing and praising the Father, and so being close to Christ enables us to pray to God and to do so effectively. Uh, instead of ineffectively. And so proximity to Jesus strengthens our prayer life. One of the things I'm amazed by, I don't have it with me, it's in my office, is our phones, what magnets they are to us. We who can't pray sure have time for our phones, don't we? Um, Just read a study the other day. On average, the average American checks their phone 262 times per day last year. That's how many times? 262 times a day. You know what that works out to? Every 5.5 seconds, they're checking their phone. Uh, Consumed, I'm sorry, 5.5 minutes. Every uh, 5.5 minutes, we're looking at our phone. Consumed. And we also sleep a few hours of that 24 hours, don't we? It's amazing. But we don't have time Uh, to pray. What if instead of those habitual glances at that black phone that might have something we missed, instead we look to him? Why don't we have comfort today? Because we're not turning to the God who gives us access and audience in his presence. I know for me, I don't know what you're dealing with today, but I know there's a lot of heartache represented in this room, physical, that's more tangible or intangible. Folks watching and listening today by live stream, but I know for me, whatever pain I'm going through, if I just know that someone has heard about it, it helps. Let alone if God has heard about it. He doesn't even have to fix it. He doesn't even have to resolve it. It might be a chronic thing I have to deal with till I see him face to face. But the fact that he hears about it, not just once, but every hour, every five and a half minutes, as often our phone gets that attention, praying to God and allowing him to give to our hearts and to our minds comfort that eludes us, until we give ourselves to prayer. If we can talk to God himself, the God who's so generous with his time and attention, listen to me, there is no reason to not have comfort today. Think about that. Audience with God. Access with God. The God of all comfort. All right, verse 15. And we see a second aspect of him being so generous of why we would run to him and look to him for comfort versus anything or anyone else. If you love me, he says, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. All right, number two. We'll get to where this point comes from in just a moment. Draw even closer to Jesus' spirit-giving generosity. So he's generous in giving us the gift of prayer. Number two, he is generous in giving us the gift of the spirit. Draw even closer to Jesus' spirit-giving generosity. Sticking with the phone analogy for a minute, have you ever had, you're talking to somebody on the phone and then someone else calls you? I'm thinking specifically of us iPhone users. Do you ever have this screen pop up and you have no clue what to do? 
without hanging up on everybody. <laughs> like, I, you know, you're like, you're still talking. You, you, put it, you don't even have it on speakerphone, so it's still close to your face. You're trying to talk, and then you're like, which do I do, and which person should I really talk to? And I end up always just, I don't know, I don't do anything. Usually I don't touch any of them. I just let it keep going, okay? And I guess that sends somebody to voicemail. Have you ever had that? I can't discern what I should do. You know that we have a spirit of God who is working in us and accessible to us, who is giving to us perspective that otherwise we would not have. Our comfortlessness is because we have not fully gotten used to accessing and availing ourselves of the comforter, the spirit of God who we have access to this morning and who should have access to us. All right, I gave you a couple of sub points under this. I don't know if they're in your outline or not, but number one, the spirit that God gives us is a spirit that comforts us through, we're going to talk about two of them. First of all, number one, loving obedience. So you say, pastor, how do I today access the comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit? I can't see him. Um, I have trouble sensing him at times, especially when I'm really fearful and worried and hurting and reeling from whatever I'm dealing with. How do I access the comfort that comes to the spirit? First of all, we do so, as Jesus talks about here, through loving obedience. We choose to do what God has told us to do. Uh, And so in verse 15, notice the Lord says he's about to leave, and yet as they're filled with sorrow, they can still love him. They can still stay connected to him by obeying what he has commanded them to do. Verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. So here's the rhythm. If you love me, keep my commandments. And now notice what he promises. And I will pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter, capital C, that he may abide with you forever. And so this comforter, it's not comforter of another kind. It's the same kind. As Jesus comforted his disciples, so this spirit will provide the similar kind of comfort. And I love the last phrase there in verse 16, that he may abide with you forever. In the Old Testament, we read of, for example, Samson, right? The Spirit of God came on him, and he takes a donkey bone, and he slays thousands of Philistines, and takes down um, all these other you know, enemies of the Philistines. He, he deals with all the Spirit comes on him, and we see it in other places, the Spirit coming upon him. But what we don't often read in the text, but is implied, is then the Spirit leaves. We as God's people in the New Testament, the Spirit comes. The moment we receive Christ, we have the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells within us, right? Scripture's clear on that. We become the earthly dwelling place, the temple of God, and he never leaves. In fact, the way God takes the Holy Spirit from planet Earth is he takes his people home. There's this intimate abiding connection between us and the Holy Spirit. And so this connection that he gives, we practice it, we live in light of it by obeying the commands that Jesus has left for us. Verse 17 lest we forget how privileged we are, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Verse 17, Christ is reminding them, this is a comfort, this is a comforter that the world doesn't have access to. Only you who are my followers. Uh, And so may we take advantage of this privilege we have that often the world forgets or doesn't realize or does not have access to. The Holy Spirit is a unique privilege that we have, right, as God's people. And yet we often act like we can't find comfort and we don't have access to what we need. We do have access through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, 
And I, this is the key verse, and I will leave you, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. The idea here of leaving is the idea of orphaned. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to leave you, I'm not going to abandon you, I'm not going to orphan you, I'm going to leave you with another comforter, and his name is the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to them in three ways. First of all, after his resurrection, right? This is pre-cross, John 14. He comes and comes back to them there. I don't know that that's what he's referencing based on the context. Someday he's coming back for his followers, right? In, in the rapture, the second coming. I think he's referencing here the day of Pentecost in which the Holy Spirit is manifested in an unmistakable way. And basically what happens on the day of promise or day of Pentecost, Jesus comes back. That's how real it was. That's how powerful it was, the presence and the work of the Spirit. May I remind you today, we have the same Spirit today they had on the day of Pentecost. And yet, a lot of churches, I hope it's not true of North Life, but if the Spirit didn't show up, we would have the same kind of service we have every Sunday. Do we need the Spirit? Do we sense the Spirit? Are we comforting others out of the abundance of that Spirit? The Holy Spirit uh, is a true gift from a generous comforter named Jesus Christ. So in this idea of obedience, motion leads to emotion. Obedience leads to comfort. We don't wait till we're comforted to align and to obey God's word. We start by obedience, and that motion of obedience leads to the emotion of comfort. Could our lack of comfort from God, this is a tough truth today, could our lack of comfort from God today really be a lack of obedience on our part? God, you need to comfort me. I need your comfort. I need you to soothe my soul. I'm just, I'm anxious and I'm depressed and I'm just raging inside. Maybe it's not God's move is the next move. Maybe it's your move and it's my move. Obeying him leads to this comfort. Obeying him leads to the steadiness of soul and heart that comes only through God's spirit. All right, verse 22. Skip a couple of verses there. Judas, not Iscariot, but the other one, ask him a question. The last one of the chapter. Judas saith unto him, I love that John does let us know that it's not the bad Judas. This is the good Judas, okay? Um, and I'm sure Judas made him add that as he was writing this, this verse down. Lord, how is it that thou wilt, uh, wilt manifest thyself or reveal thyself unto us and not unto the world? All right, how in the world will we see you and know you, but the world's not? How is that even possible? Verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him. Notice the last part of this verse. And make our abode, all right, our dwelling place, a reference back to the previous verse, the beginning of the chapter, we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Number two, a spirit that comforts through loving remembrance. A spirit that, confront, or that comforts through loving remembrance. So what the spirit does is first we, we obey God. That gives comfort to our hearts. Secondly, he brings things back to mind that we are prone to forget. Um, as I mentioned, I was out of town last week, and I appreciate you being supportive and understanding as God expands our ministry. And we're gone once a month or so in what we're doing with our wellness weekends. But I was thinking about this the other day. I think it's good for our church to not be too one voice centric. Do you understand that? Pastor David does a great job preaching and the others that fill in when I'm gone. Um, we try to more of a team mindset where we're preaching through a text as we do. We were in chapter 13 last week and now chapter 14 this week. I think that's where he was supposed to be preaching anyway last week. Um, 
But I read this the other day that I think, and I'm glad to be here. This is where I want to be, all right? This is my favorite spot to be on planet Earth. I mean that. But somebody made this statement of how sometimes pastoral leadership, and this could apply to other areas, supplants the Holy Spirit. Listen to this statement. This is really good. Maybe the reason many churches are uncomfortable with the doctrines of the Holy Spirit is because the pastor has, over time, replaced the role of the Holy Spirit with the role of the pastor. The pastor leads, the pastor comforts, the pastor dictates, the pastor convicts. And then the author said this, these are the exclusive roles of the Holy Spirit, right? And so what happens is we fill our lives with other things and other people, even good things. Pastors at least should be good guys, all right? Part of the good side of things. But often we're supplanting the Holy Spirit and what he's trying to remind us of and teach us of. And therefore we are comfortless when a man fails us, when a friend fails us, when someone who claims to identify with God fails us. It's got to be bigger than that for us to have a sustaining comfort that helps us through, helps us through the struggles of life. And so here Christ is saying to uh, Judas and to those who are listening, I'm, my spirit is the source of the comfort. He's the one who will remind you of the things that I have shared with you. Uh, verse 23, I'm sorry, verse 24, he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, he forgets them. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. And so the distinguishing characteristic of the world that doesn't have comfort is they forget what Jesus said. They don't, they don't acknowledge it. They don't remind themselves of it. Those who are comforted, they're constantly letting the Spirit remind them of what Jesus has revealed to us. I would say this to us today. For us to have comfort, no matter what we're facing today, we don't need anything new from God. We just need to remember what he's already revealed to us. It is our amnesia. It's not the absence of something that we still need God to do for us to have comfort today. We've just fallen away from, we forget as the years go by, these truths that should steady us and solidify our faith and confidence in God. And so the Spirit is the one reminding us of these truths. Uh, verse 25 as we just read, he says, I have spoken these things while being present. Notice verse 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Here it is. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. There were things they couldn't handle. There were things they couldn't process. If Jesus had dumped the whole truckload in that moment, there were things they needed to know more fully and remember more completely in the days ahead. And so he, he gives them the Spirit to help them recall those things. I think one of the reasons we have so little divine comfort in our day is that we feel like in our day we don't have the parting of the Red Sea, that we saw it with our own eyeballs. We, don't, we didn't see Lazarus come out of the tomb. We didn't get to stand next to Nicodemus as he, he helped Jesus into the tomb, his body, and then the resurrection. We didn't get to see firsthand. We feel like we're at a disadvantage, and so we're hesitant or we're fearful. May I remind you today, we are the most advantaged generation or era of Christianity or relationship with God that has ever, ever breathed. We have access to God that no other era has had. You know, we read of Abraham or Noah, we read of these men and we think, how amazing. And they didn't have this book. They didn't have this spirit inside of them. And somehow they found comfort. Why can't we? Why can't we have that comfort that helps us and sustains us with such privileges that are afforded to us. We are the most blessed era of God's people. May we steward that 
with confidence in comfort. One author said this, By the Spirit of God, we can actually know Christ better today than the disciples who knew him when he was on earth. Do you believe that today? Here was his premise. When he was here, those in the front of the crowd were closer to him than those in the rear. But today, by faith, each of us can enjoy the closest of fellowship with him. Christ's answer to Judas, reference to this text, to Jewish question, shows that the promised manifestation to his individual followers is connected with the word of God. Obedience to the word will result in the coming and abiding of the Father and the Son. Because of this that we have complete access to, we can be close and comforted by God. All right, let's land today in verse 27. Would you go down there? And we find a last gift of this generous comforter mentioned in verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, Give I unto you, and here it is again, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Lastly, draw even closer to Jesus, peace-giving, peace-giving generosity. Last night we had a harvest party that our youth group was leading, Pastor Dave, our fearless leader, and his, well, maybe Miss Brandy's actually the fearless leader, but uh, we had a great time over at the Flynn's farm, and uh, and it was a very quiet evening. We just sat around the campfire all evening, sipping lattes and just talking about, <laughs> yeah, right, okay? It was, it was crazy, okay, as it always is. That, that's a proper youth activity. Um, we, had, we wrapped people mummy style with toilet paper that ended with basically a wrestling match, right, guys? Because it was like a relay, and so the only way to slow down one team was to tackle the kid running. And then by the end, I wasn't involved. I was just praying over on the side, no injuries. But it involved even Pastor Dave, our illustrious youth pastor. Miss Brandy was on. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't get involved. But it was just, and then we did a game where we had a six-foot table kind of, uh, you know how they used to move things on logs? You know, they would roll it and then take the end log and put it at the, and roll it. We did that with human beings, and I was under a six-foot table with this girl surfing across all of us guys, and then we'd get up and go to the end. Um, it was not a peaceful evening, okay? Uh, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Do you know that, that often in our hearts, one of the things that concerns me is how easily we get worked up. We have people, we have another election coming, right? Are we really going to go there again to the decibel emotional level that we went to last time and the time before that and the time before that? It's amazing when you don't have peace, the things that work you up. And I'm telling you today, Jesus offers to us a peace that passes understanding, a peace that transcends the best this world can offer. And so in verse 27, Christ here says, here's this peace, this inner tranquility that comes from being right with God and knowing that we have uh, intimate connection to God. This peace, unlike the world's peace, has been offered to us as his people. Um, the average Jew, and I heard this at times when I was in Israel back in January, shalom, shalom. Peace often was, it wasn't necessarily something that they would say when they would first see you, when they would greet you, but it was always something they would say as you would leave. Jesus literally is leaving. He's stepping off. And what's the last thing that he says to them? Peace. My peace I give unto you. And just as we would leave some things to our kids and grandkids of inheritance of some material value or some sentimental value, the last thing that Jesus leaves this chapter with before they start pivoting toward the Passion Week is this word peace. 
that just reverberates through their souls. And I'm sure even in the darkest moments of the trials and the betrayals, still this peace was available to them. We today have access to that same peace. And so draw closer to Jesus to receive this generous peace that he promises. Just this question before we go to our conclusion today, with a comforter who is so generous with the gifts of prayer, the Holy Spirit, and peace, why are we still making excuses that we can't find comfort? One who gives so liberally and so generously and freely to us, prayer, the Spirit, and peace. Where are we turning to inferior creature comforts of this world at the expense of our intimate relationship with Jesus and His Spirit? There was a story in our area just a few weeks ago. I don't know if you saw it or not, but I just want to remind you of what we have that the world doesn't have, and maybe this is you today still processing how you can find peace in Christ. But there was a man from Massillon just a few weeks ago in Holmes County. Maybe it's been a month ago or so now. Um, the story was in the news that was a couple Sunday nights ago where he had a head-on collision with another car on purpose, and then his car veered off into a ditch. He got out of his car and he shot himself. The lady, fortunately, that he had on survived last that I heard. But you hear these kind of stories and you're like, what in the world? You know, if we go far enough without the comfort and the peace that God offers, but by the grace and comfort of God, so go we. We cannot function, we cannot survive, and we definitely can't thrive without the comfort that God gives. We need it. It's not an opt-in, opt-out thing. Without it, it will eat us alive. We must receive this comfort. And there is no one that can comfort like Jesus. And so as we begin with this morning, the level of your comfort will be in direct proportion to how close or not close you are to him. It's our choice. And like I've said to you many times, we're as close to Jesus today as we choose to be. Don't blame him. Don't blame what you're going through. So if we can choose how close we are to him, then we also can choose how much comfort we have today. Man, what a privilege. What an opportunity. All right, look at verse 18 and we're done. Let these words just reverberate in your heart. I will not leave you comfortless. This is Christ speaking to you and me. I will come to you. Will you allow the comfort of God to come to you? All right, this quote, and we're done. An author said this, affluence, which we all are affluent, we're in the top 1% to 2% of the world, whether we feel affluent or not, is the breeding ground for anxiety and depression. Why? Because it creates the illusion of being able to purchase comfort and control. Eventually, this deceit is exposed. In a fallen world, not even money can secure for us the world that we long for. Don't settle. Draw nigh to Jesus, the one along who gives you comfort and he who maintains control. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today.